Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Welcome back to What's God Got to Do With It. And thank you so much for all the feedback that we've received for you. And thank you to everyone who has followed or liked or subscribed to the podcast. And if you like what you've heard, we have so much great content on the way for you starting today where we're kicking off a new series of intertwining episodes that are going to connect a lot of dots from previous episodes, but also pave the way for future episodes and, and kind of act like this overarching big picture view of our upcoming series. Specifically, I'll be introducing you to what I call the five blocks to God's love and how I discovered that for me, when it came to actually feeling worthy of being loved and not feeling like I had to, you know, earn it or like when I'm this or do that, then I'll be lovable. I mean, loved right now as I am. That was really hard for me to grasp at first. It's like something was kind of blocking me. And I call it the paradox of worthiness, as in how do you feel worthy when you don't feel worthy? Because there's so much talk nowadays about self-love and worthiness, but the crucial question remains, how do we truly embrace it if all we've ever known is the opposite? Like, how do you suddenly feel worthy if all you've ever known is feeling unworthy? And The problem is we're being bombarded with feel-good affirmations and fake positivity and platitudes that fail to address our deep-seated insecurities. And that's because, you know, really only a little bit is being spoken about the science of the self-image, which I've talked a lot about on this podcast, but also, as you've learned, why the Bible resonated with me so deeply because it 100% aligned with how our brains work and neuroplasticity and and all of that. So our self-image and the wiring in our brains that is causing us to think and act and feel and behave the way that we are, that is the problem, but it's also the solution to worthiness when we renew our minds, of course, right? And I talked all about that in episode seven, the faith-brain connection, where self-image meets neuroscience. And I shared that, and and I'm going to really just oversimplify this here, but when it comes to the goggles that we're seeing ourselves through and our perceptions of ourselves and, you know, really why we do what we do, on a brain level, that is dictated by an often overlooked part of the brain called the anterior cingulate cortex or ACC, or I call it the social brain. And when we tap into the power of this part of the brain, 
that's where we hold the keys to the science of the self-image. And this is how we can create that, you know, three-dimensional mental, emotional, spiritual, physical health, all of it, and feel true worthiness down in our bones. And so we also talked about on that episode how faith has been scientifically proven to influence that part of the brain, not to mention alleviate physical pain and help heal from addiction. But also how, you know, for years I was teaching the science of the self-image as as more of a personal development or brain-changing way of thinking. But when I invited God into that conversation, like, wow, right? And so if you missed that episode, go back and check that out. And you can just search faith brain connection and, and it should come right up. So back to the five blocks to God's love. What I discovered was when it came to actually feeling worthy of being loved and not feeling like I had to earn it or like, you know, I said, when I do this or that, then I'll be lovable. I mean, loved right now as I am, that didn't just magically happen for me because of that resistance I mentioned that was blocking me from getting it. And I'm I'm saying getting it and putting that in air quotes, but God wasn't blocking me and my circumstances weren't blocking me. I was blocking me and my thoughts and perception of myself was what was blocking what was available to me. And this is the perfect time to connect the dots from last week's episode, Jesus Take the Wheel, from self-reliance to God's guidance with my dear friend, Ketrick Newell, where rewind about four or five years ago, you know, and Ketrick told me something that I flat out did not want to hear. And keep in mind that four or five years ago when I was just starting to dip my toes into Christianity and just starting my relationship with God and getting to know this guy called Jesus. So I was still, you know, like a little baby Christian or heck, I I still feel like I am that still to this day, but, but I digress. So I'm volunteering at the Teen Dream Center. That's where I met Ketrick. And on certain days, they would break out into enrichment for the girls and enrichment for the guys. And I remember thinking like, wow, my self-image curriculum would be so incredibly powerful for these teenage girls. So I offered to teach my curriculum to the girls, specifically, you know, thinking I could teach the five self-image ingredients that I had been teaching for over a decade. And Ketrick was super sweet about it, but he was like, okay, Leanne, your self-image curriculum is great, but I don't want you to teach it to the teenage girls at the Teen Dream Center yet, okay? He said, yet. And I was like, oh, like the nerve of him to tell me that it wasn't ready or that I wasn't ready or whatever I perceived him to be saying. And yes, I was a little bit, you know, butthurt as the kids nowadays say when I first heard him say that. But that's only because I didn't get it. Right. That is, I didn't get it until I did get it. And now I can see that he had a very good reason to say that to me. And it was because I was still teaching self-love and self-worth as something that you do strictly through your own strength. In other words, it was this hyper-independent reliance on self to do all of the heavy lifting. And in a world that often encourages you know, self-sufficiency, this concept of letting go and allowing God to take the lead, that can feel a little daunting. Or if you're anything like me, like it was totally foreign. So before we get into any more of this you know, relinquishing shame and stepping into worthiness conversation, and before I connect any more dots to the neuroscience or neurofaith side of things, I want you to first look at it through the lens of what Ketrick and I talked about last week, where 
it's not about doing it just through your own strength, even though that might be what you learned. I know it's what I learned. But it's about shifting from total self-reliance to allowing God's guidance to come in. And that's why I'm inviting you to see this topic of shame and this topic of transforming your view of yourself in a whole new light. And so if you think that asking for help is weakness, as, as I raise my hand in admission because that was me most of my life, and if you struggle with this idea of surrendering your burdens over to God or a higher power, and, and boy, did I ever, like I'll be the first to admit that. And if you constantly feel like you have to prove how strong or able or tough or fill in the blank you are, and again, there is no judgment about any of this, like this was me my entire life before I let God in. Well, before we go any further in this episode, I'm just first and foremost inviting you to simply try on a new definition of surrender and the profound impacts that can happen when you shift from self-reliance to God's guidance and no longer looking at this as something that you have to do on your own, but letting God in to do the heavy lifting, like not just your logic brain here. I'm not talking to just, just logic anymore. Like I'm really inviting you to use your spiritual brain and see this through spiritual eyes. And again, this was so hard for me to grasp. So if this is a stretch for you, I see you, I get you, I feel you, and I am not here to convince you, but just here to invite you to see what you to see that you don't have to do all of this yourself. And, and, and this is the perfect place to invite God in and say, hey, God, meet me here. Like, help me see what you see. Help me with my demons. Help me with my past. Help me with my shame and my loneliness and my self-criticism. And help me with depression and body image shame and coping mechanisms or whatever it is you're currently dealing with. Okay, so back to the five God blocks. It's so interesting because I have been teaching my five ingredient self-imaging formula to my clients for over a decade. But what I realized was that those same five ingredients, when I looked at them another way, they weren't just ingredients. Okay, looked at from another angle or, or really in reality, it was just looking at them through spiritual eyes. I realized that they were actually where I was blocking God's love and any love for that matter from coming my way and truly receiving it. Like that was the resistance that I was telling you about. Like that's what was blocking me from feeling the power or the truth in that. And that's why I now call them God blocks where again, God wasn't blocking me and my circumstances weren't blocking me. I was blocking me. Like my my thoughts, my perception of myself was what was blocking what was available to me. And how when I looked at those same ingredients through my spiritual eyes, the things I was once relying on to like, you know, relying on only me to feel responsible for or thinking I had to do it all through my own might and own strength, I realized that those were the things that were blocking me from again, not just the love of God, but the love of anyone in this universe that wanted to give their love to me. So whether it was friends, family, relationships, and, and boy, that is a topic on its own, but there are five God blocks in total, and I promise to walk you through each one in depth on this series. But the reason this felt so revelatory for me is because when I simply became aware of those five blocks and I acknowledged them and cared for them, 
all of a sudden they were no longer blocks. Like they became like a powerful gateway or bridge to connection and to worthiness and to peace, like so much peace. And it allowed me to invite God in right there and ask him to help me. And then my prayers just, again, became things like, God, meet me here and help me see what you see and help me with my shame and help me find worthiness and help me unblock what's blocking me from you and remove anything or unlearn anything any lie that is not coming from you. And that's why I believe it's so important to recognize your own blocks, as in what's keeping you from receiving the love that's available to you right now? And what's keeping you from feeling like you are worthy of receiving love and worthy of being taken care of or valued beyond the size of your genes or your bank balance or your relationship status? And so if you've heard my five ingredients of self-imaging recipe before, and there's a good chance you have, I promise that you have never heard them shared the way that I'm going to share them in this series. And that's only because I didn't see them the way that I see them today until I did see them that way. And that's why I'm so excited to just get this conversation started or really, like I said, continue it. So we're going to talk about what that looks like through the faith brain lens or the neuro faith lens, but also what does this look like through God's eyes? Okay. But before we do, I just want to kind of share an example. So if you heard episode six, how God helped me heal my fears about being alone the rest of my life, I shared what a big deal it is that as I'm recording this, I'm actually getting married in about a week. But it's not the wedding that's such a big deal. It's what God unblocked for me along my journey. That is what I really want you to see. And I'm so excited because I kind of left myself breadcrumbs along the way and I didn't even know it. And you're going to be able to see what I mean in a second because I truly believe I'm getting married to my best friend and dream come true husband at the ripe old age of 40, right? But it was a journey. It was a journey getting here. It was a, it was a journey getting there and feeling worthy of receiving this love. And I shared all about it in that episode. But for so much of my life, I had the five blocks to love that I'm going to share with you. And they were keeping me from feeling worthy of receiving that love from another human being. And so what I'm about to share, I wrote this over five years ago, okay? When, when keep in mind, I didn't have a relationship with God yet when I wrote it, but I truly believe it's a testament to what can happen with the transformative power of the self-image. And of course, he was with me all along, even if I, I didn't know it yet. But even then, I believed it to be true with my whole heart. And now I know it to be true with my whole heart. So I, I called it run your own race. Okay. And this is, this is what I wrote. I turned 34 a few months ago. I'm not married. I'm not even in a serious or committed relationship at the moment. According to some timelines and storylines and guidelines, I am behind. To be honest, I used to think I was too. But here's what I say about it now. If I had entered into a union or gotten married a few years ago, I would have brought the following with me. All the feelings of not enoughness, all the judgments of self-criticalness, all the cause and effects of unhappiness, disconnection from myself, disconnection from my body, disconnection from all the love that's already there in my life, self-created goggles that always saw me through a lens of fat or stupid or broken. A tough gal exterior that made me think I was alone in this world and didn't need anything from anyone. 
this feeling that I was unworthy of love, of a lifelong commitment, or of unconditional acceptance. I would have always been looking to someone or something else to tell me who I was, tell me what to do, or air quotes, make me happy. That goes for a man, a career, a gene size. It wouldn't have mattered because I would have always been the woman whose happiness and purpose and identity were always coming in from everything outside of her. And the truth Chances are I would have been divorced by the age of 34, 35 tops. Not because we didn't love and or like each other, but because I didn't like me. And I couldn't and wouldn't have been able to receive love from another human being. So yeah, maybe by some people's standards or timelines, I am behind. But the way I see it, that time couldn't have been better well spent or better invested. Here is who I went and became. I started the journey of getting to know myself, truly naked, warts and all. I started the journey of learning to accept myself, accept my past, and accept responsibility for my own happiness, purpose, and meaning. I learned how to connect with myself, connect with my body, and use that connection as my medicine and my drug of choice. I learned to value myself, not solely by the number on the scale, my bank account balance, or my relationship status, but by the love in my heart, the words in my soul, and the new values-driven currency that I created and I defined. I learned to love, to be present to love, to give it, to receive it, and to be it. And now here I am, ready to love and be loved, to give it, and more importantly, receive it ready to connect and create intimacy and truly be seen. I'm exactly who I need to be and where I need to be to go invite all the magic and awesomeness and love into my life that I desire. And so are you. So for anyone out there who feels behind or not on track or like time is running out, Run your own race, create your own timelines, craft your own guidelines, and narrate your own storylines. Don't let other people's versions of who you should be, where you should be, or what you should be cast shadows of doubt, comparison, or not enoughness. And don't let it pressure you or influence you into making decisions that go against your intuition or against your better judgment. It's your race, it's your story, it's your life, and you only have one. So go live it for you. Live it by your rules and guidelines, create your own timelines and storylines, and I think you'll find that little by little, the ticking time bomb goes away, the fear of judgment starts to subside, and you will become more and all of who you really are. Okay, so again, remember, I wrote that before I had a relationship with God, and I can absolutely see how I was totally in self-reliance like we talked about, and this idea of allowing God's guidance to come in and do the heavy lifting, well, that was not even remotely in my consciousness, or at least that I knew, because I was thinking that I had to do all the heavy lifting, and I was trying to logic and reason my way through my deeper struggles, hence using words like self-love, and then having my five self-image ingredients paving the way. And the idea of allowing God in to do the heavy lifting, while while yes, I was an active participant and took radical ownership of my ability to influence my life and use my free will because, you know, God doesn't control that. 
that was so hard for me to grasp. So again, if this is a stretch for you, I get it. I feel you. And again, I'm not here trying to convince you. I'm just inviting you to see that you don't have to do all of this yourself. Okay. But that's why I'm so adamant about sharing this. Because again, when you also see that those same ingredients or that that I'm going to share with you, when you see them through the lens of, okay, but what if that's what's blocking me from truly receiving God's love or anyone's love? It, It really is a big wow. Like it's it's an aha, hopefully, right? And for me, it just, it hits differently. Like again, it, it released the pressure valve for me. It took some of the weight off of me to do it all by myself, but it also, it kind of like softened my heart and it postured me towards a new kind of love and acceptance and identity and, and worthiness. And so, yeah, you, you get it. Like I believe in the brain science side of this. I just shared the transformation that's possible. But when you add in the secret ingredient of God, and and for me, it was Jesus, it's a whole new level, one that you didn't even know you could get to. And and that's why I'm so excited to share both, like the self-image side of shame and worthiness and then the neurofaith side of it. So let's just connect those dots to help you relinquish your own shame and step into your own worthiness, okay? So this whole faith-brain connection and and what I mean when I say where self-image meets neuroscience, and I shared with you in the very first episode, A Scientist Goes Looking for God, that meeting myself in my skeptical, cynical mind, but also stepping into a God conversation around things I was, you know, previously trying to do through my own might and will, it was so powerful for me because A, it completed my story. But also, B, it met me in what I already knew about the magic and wonder of of the brain and the nervous system, right? And that's why, really, for the last 15 years of my life, I've been obsessed with studying this stuff. Like, um, what is it that makes us see and perceive ourselves the way that we do? And why do our brains play tricks on us, right? And, And why do we do what we do? And for me, this all started because I was having questions like, why did I just lose 100 pounds and totally make over my body, but I'm still seeing myself as fat, right? And why do I still feel like a crazy sugar addict? And and why do I still feel unworthy and unlovable, fill in the blank? And why didn't my mind and my brain and my self-image play catch up when my body physically transformed, right? And that's really why I became obsessed with researching and understanding the intricacies of the the human brain and self-image. Because again, I I suffered and struggled with this for decades. And and the world was throwing a lot of, you know, diets essentially at my deeper problems. And really, this stuff is not taught in the mainstream and it's not made readily available. And that's why I'm so purposeful about getting this way of thinking out there. But it's also rare that I find anyone talking about what God has to do with it all, right? With our own shame and our own blocks to worthiness and how that can be, like, if you're willing to go there, a pivotal piece of the puzzle. But we can't talk about shame without talking about, you probably guessed it, your self-image and the goggles that you're seeing yourself through day in, day out. And it's your personal view or mental picture that you have of yourself. And so when you think about all the thoughts that you think about yourself on a day-to-day basis, you know, maybe you're calling yourself things like intelligent and kind and beautiful or talented, whatever, but maybe you're also calling yourself a loser or ugly or a disappointment or unlovable or, or whatever, fill in the blank. But basically, however you're regarding yourself, how you view your strengths or weaknesses, you are defining yourself. You're like painting a picture and then you live into that story and that picture and then your beliefs and habits and behaviors follow that story. And that's how the fired and wired things get fired and wired in your brain. And that's why I always say that what you see is who you be, which is just to say that how you're showing up in your life. So whether that's physically, emotionally, 
spiritually, financially, relationally, like whatever, right? It's going to be a direct reflection of what you see as being true about yourself relative to that area. So if you see yourself as beautiful, lovable, irreplaceable, then you be someone who shows up as beautiful, lovable, irreplaceable. What you see is who you be. But on the other hand, if you see yourself as, you know, flawed or unlovable, unworthy, ugly, whatever it is, you're going to be the person who meets the circumstances of your life as that person. Because again, what you see is who you be. And that's why doing all of the air quotes, you know, out there work, stuff like, you know, diets, gym, goal-based stuff, motivational stuff, it tends to fall short for us or it doesn't really address the deeper stuff going on because we will only be the person that we see, right? And, And when I say what you see is who you be, that's why I always say that transformation truly, like true transformation, like absolute, you know, I don't even recognize myself kind of transformation. It really does begin with the self-image and stepping into a new identity. And I've shared this before. You know, I learned this again after losing 100 pounds and making over my body. But because I didn't address the wiring that was causing me to think and act and feel and behave like I was unworthy. And like I said a minute ago, I still felt felt I was fat or I just was like, oh, you're always going to be like this or, you know, whatever painful words I was using. Yeah, I lost a lot of weight, but I never transformed my identity. And of course, because of that, what you see is who you be. I brought all my old habits and thinking and behaviors with me because I brought my old self-image with me, right? Now, keep in mind, when I started on my path, I didn't have God in my life or or at least didn't know I did. But by some divine miracle, I eventually had the insight and awareness to realize I was never going to be able to outsmart the wiring in my brain and self-image. And I wasn't going to be able to do it all, all on my own. Like I needed help and I needed a lifeline. And yes, in many ways, like I needed to be saved from myself. needed help and I needed a lifeline. And yes, in many ways, like I needed to be saved from myself which is such a departure from self-reliance, if you think about it, right? But that's why I get so excited to bring God into this conversation and into this upcoming series that we're going to start next week and talk about what's God got to do with it when it comes to your own shame and worthiness, because I believe there's absolutely a faith-brain connection. Because when it comes to the collective stories that you're telling yourself on repeat, and yeah, you might be using words like unworthy, unlovable, or identifying with shame, but it's also those stories we tell ourselves that aren't that like finite or we can't put our finger on it, or maybe we're just calling ourselves different or weird or alone or isolated, like stuff like that. And so if you're anything like me, I also thought I was crazy. Like I thought I was broken and that's its own rabbit hole, right? And that it, because we feel all those things, but when we're down that rabbit hole, we also feel isolated and super disconnected. And then isolation and disconnection disconnection is its own rabbit hole, or at least it can be if our self-image is untamed and just kind of growing metaphorical weeds without us weeding the metaphorical garden. But in reality, my own rabbit hole, I can look back at it and know that it was made up of my own God blocks and where I was blocking love and worthiness from actually being received. And I believe it's possible 
that you might be too. As in, like, what's keeping you from receiving the love that's available to you right now? And what's keeping you from feeling like you're worthy of receiving love and being taken care of or valued beyond the size of your genes or bank balance or how, you know, air quotes together you think you are or think you're not? So we're going to talk all about those five blocks starting next week. But first, you know, I've shared a lot of my own perspective on the neurofaith side of things. So I actually want to introduce you to two of my favorite teachers and authors' perspectives on the subject of shame and worthiness. And if you're interested in doing a deep dive, then this is where I invite you to check these guys out. And by the way, in the name of praying and asking God to do the heavy lifting, like total side note, I would love to have both of these guys that I'm going to share with you on the podcast. So I'm just calling that out right now, God, okay? You hear me? Like, this is me praying for that, okay? So the way I describe it is the one one of these guys shares a faith-based viewpoint on the neurobiology of shame and worthiness, and one shares a faith-based viewpoint on the neuropsychology of shame and worthiness. And I'll just give you a bit of an overview. Both of them have have books. Actually, you know, both of them have several books. But if you want to learn more about them and their theories, I'm going to recommend that you check them out, and I'll link everything in the show notes. But the first is a man named Kurt Thompson who wrote, among other things, The Soul of Shame, retelling the stories we believe about ourselves, where he not only takes you through, you know, the neuroscience of shame and explaining how shame isn't just a psychological or emotional experience, but it's really deeply rooted in the brain's functioning. But to me, The Soul of Shame book offers a message of hope because It just gives you an understanding of the brain's capacity for healing and how that aligns with the Christian belief in redemption and restoration. Like, you know, in Romans 12, 2, where Apostle Paul wrote, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And to me, that is straight up neuroplasticity, right? And that's, again, why the Bible resonated so deeply. But also, Kurt Thompson has a way of sharing how the brain has this remarkable capacity for renewal and transformation. And I just love how he connects the idea of, you know, the concept of sanctification with the understanding in neuroscience that the brain's plasticity can allow the process of of anyone becoming more Christ-like. Bottom line, it's so worth a read, even just for the experience of exploring a bit more about how our brain processes narratives and stories and how our faith stories shape our identity and, and how you can examine it and, you know, see the stories you're telling yourself and refrain them to align with the truth of how God sees you. So I'll link that in the show notes. You'll definitely hear me talk about him in the future. So that's why I wanted to introduce him to you now and what I would consider the neurobiology side of the faith brain connection, especially when it comes to to, you know, shame and worthiness. Now, the neuropsychology of faith, of the faith-brain connection, Chip Dodd, okay, he's got a book, again, multiple books, but the one I'm talking about here is called The Voice of the Heart. And The Voice of the Heart, it's a, it's a call to full living is the subtitle. But to me, it's like a roadmap to understanding our feelings. And it's all about how our emotions aren't just these random things that we deal with. They are this key part of being human. And he really dives into this idea that our emotions Emotions aren't there to mess us up, right? They're actually super important signals about what we need and what we care about. And if we can look at them as signals, like imagine a smoke detector, if it's beeping, like it's either telling you that there's a, it needs a battery or there's a fire, right? But there, it's telling you something, right? And he's all about saying like, hey, it's okay to feel everything, like good, bad, ugly, the works, but pay attention to those signals, pay attention to the feelings so you can just get a better
better handle on your life. And it's kind of like learning a new language of emotions that helps us grow so that we can be real with ourselves and with others, right? And so specifically, he walks you through the eight feelings to and to kind of help us name what we're experiencing in our heart. And I love one of my favorite things about his framework is he talks about how each feeling has a gift if we're available to it, right? But it also has an impairment if we aren't. Like what I would call, you know, being emotionally available to ourselves. If we're not emotionally available to ourselves, that same feeling can impair us, right? And so I love how Chip Dodd, he just makes it so accessible because yes, it's shared through a lens of psychology, but he blends it so beautifully with with personal anecdotes and, and just like really practical wisdom. And I just love that he gives you this framework to engage with your emotions and recognize them as signals of your needs and desires, kind of like a guide to decode the language of emotion so that you can, you know, really navigate them rather than feeling like a victim to them or, or feeling out of control. So again, I'll link that in the show notes and you're definitely going to hear me talk about him in the future. So wanted to introduce him to you now and what I would consider the neuropsychology side of the faith brain connection, especially when it comes to shame and worthiness. And of course, I'm sure you guessed it because this is the What's God Got to Do With It podcast. Let's look at what God has to say about shame and worthiness. And of course, we're going to unpack this more specifically as we get into the five God blocks over the coming weeks. So Isaiah 61.7, this is the NIV version, says, instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. And to me, that's an invitation, almost like an exchange or a bargain. And to me, it's God saying like, okay, try this out. You give me your shame and I'll give you everlasting joy and more than you could imagine. Like specifically, he says double portion. And again, I I know it takes faith to have faith, but that's where, in my opinion, the magic all happens. In Romans 10, 11, this is also the NIV version, Apostle Paul says, as scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. And so to me, this reminds me that where there's toxic shame, that is not coming from God. He will never put us to shame. And specifically, it says to anyone who believes in him, which reminds me that my faith is enough to have it. That fact that I believe and receive that I'm righteous, like that is so different than looking to my scale weight or relationship status to get that worthiness, right? So I love that. And then I'll give you one more. Psalm 3.3 and also NIV version says, but you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. Okay, and to me, that's a reminder that, again, he is the one doing the heavy lifting in this identity conversation, right? And this is no longer a conversation about self-reliance and thinking I have to do it through my own will or my own might. It's just an invitation to let God in and, and just see what happens. And that is just my invitation to you as we go through this series and to just think of it through these eyes and entertain the possibility that what if this whole stepping into worthiness conversation thing was a God conversation? And what if this time you could invite God into the conversation and ask God to meet you there and help you and support you unconditionally and be your most supportive friend and trusted advisor? Because yes, there is a science to it all. And and shame is not meant to be our emotional home. I deeply believe that. But there is a way out of it. And in order to get out of it, you must discover what is keeping you in it. 
And that's what we're going to do starting next week with the first ingredient and first God block, accepting yourself and not accepting yourself when you lose weight or reach some proverbial metaphorical or literal milestone. I mean, right now, as you are right here, right now. So we will talk about it next week. We'll be back with more What's God Got to Do With It. But in the meantime, I would definitely love to hear from you. So just tell me where you are in your story or maybe what questions you have. Like, where do you feel you need clarity or support or wisdom in your own journey? I definitely want to hear from you. So head on over to whatsgodgottodowithit.com and scroll down to the form to share your thoughts, your questions, your feedback, and you can do that instantly. So what's God got to do with it.com. You'll find all the ways to do that. And if you like this podcast and want to hear more, go ahead and follow, like, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts to get your weekly dose of what's God got to do with it. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. And while you're there, be sure to rate and review to show your support. It really means so much. What's God Got to Do With It is an iHeartRadio podcast on the Amy Brown Podcast Network. It's written and hosted by me, Leanne Ellington. Executive produced by Elizabeth Fazio. Post-production and editing by Houston Tilly. And original music written by Cheryl Stark and produced by Adam Stark. Adam Stark.